Okay, we're going to go. Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Wolfcast. Today, I'm joined by Deepu KV, President, Head of Operations, Communities, and Customer Service at Bajaj Alliance General Insurance. Deepu, it's great to have you. I was going to say back on the show because I feel like we've been doing this a couple of times, but it's great to have you on the show. How are you? Fine. Thank you, Mike. And uh, thank you so much you know, for your warmth as always. Yes, uh, lovely talking to you once again. Yeah, it's great to have you here. I want to just kind of jump into the main topics. And the first thing I want to address is emerging digital risks. Can you give me a view from your standpoint on what some of these emerging digital risks are? Sure, uh, Michael. I think if you look at, uh, you know, the whole landscape ever since uh, COVID-19 came to the fore, yeah. while on the one hand, we were talking about the opportunities in uh, the entire digital way of not just uh, working, but living, you know, we've also seen, you know, risks. For starters, um, the traffic jams, you know, which we see on the physical highways, you know, they've all shifted, you know, to the uh, digital highways, right? We've all seen how outages, uh, connectivity issues, you know, can create risks. And I think one solution for firms is, for example, when it comes to their apps, you know, maybe they can have, you know, light versions where you have uh, bandwidth issues, you know, you can have a light version, right? Just as you have, you know, multiple forms of the same product, you know, depending on the customer segment, you could have, you know, multiple forms, you know, based on, you know, internet issues. I think that's one. The other is uh, for many people, you know, especially those who maybe, you know, join a corporate sector for the first time or even about even, you know, experienced folks, you know, who are maybe transitioning during this time, you know, the whole onboarding process, right? I mean, it does create its risk because human connect is missing, you know, so how do we ensure that, you know, I think clearly that's one thing which we should focus on, you know, in this entire, you know, digital arena. One straightforward risk, of course, is, uh, you know, the whole cybersecurity angle. And I think that's where, you know, cyber insurance comes in. Also, when it comes to uh, this current way of working in the digital world, you know, what we need to realize is as the footprint becomes digital, you know, there's a lot of data out there. And while the availability of data is uh, is a bonanza, you know, for marketers and for customer service folks from a data enrichment perspective, but it brings, you know, risk, you know, in its own wake, right? In terms of how do you manage data, right? Whether it's data leakage prevention, whether it's encrypting data, you know, how do you manage data sharing, you know, the whole governance around data. I think that, you know, that's clearly there. Then if you look at remote uh, working, right? Again, in this entire digital world, how do you look at things like, you know, for example, offboarding? How do you look at, you know, areas like giving feedback? You know, you just need to make sure that, uh, you know, it all works out, you know, uh, smoothly. Firms have also grappled with, you know, digital uh, technology, you know, which could be a legacy technology that they've used for, you know, many years. When you look at software as a service, right, is the use, you know, monitored, right? Also, a lot of people, you know, without firewalls, you know, can become easy targets. So I guess I can go on and on, uh, Michael, but I think, you know, there are quite a few risks, you know, emerging by this sheer shift to digital. Yes, I want to address a couple of these things at a higher level and just dig a little bit deeper. Sure. As always, right, you put this into a context that most people don't. And that's one of the reasons that I really enjoy talking to you. You know, a lot of people talk about the future of work, but I think the component that you've added to this is the future of life, really, right? Because there is work and life. When we talk about work-life balance, and in the old days, we said that the internet kind of merged those two things together, but I think we were wrong. But now we're not wrong. Because if you're working from home or just working remotely, and there are so many topics to cover here, but just the way you work is now completely different and the risks are completely different too. And let me just give you an example. You, you mentioned connectivity and connectivity outages. You know, if I'm sitting at my office in Goldman Sachs 
the likelihood that I'm going to lose connectivity at any point in time, first of all, I probably have an Ethernet connection to my machine. And there are probably multiple lines coming into the office. I mean, many multiple lines and backups as well, right? So even if my connectivity goes down, there's probably a simple way for it to cut over to a new connectivity line. But when people are working from home, even if it's not market-facing, like what I used to do, they don't necessarily have fault-tolerance connectivity to the internet. Does that make sense? Right, so that's just the first thing that you brought up. Is there a way to cover that from an insurance perspective? Yeah. I think you articulated the entire uh, you know, scenario very well, uh, you know, Michael. And I think if you look at cyber insurance, for instance, it's basically around uh, you know, protection. Right. So essentially what we are saying is, you know, when there's work from home and, you know, people are, you know, liable, uh, you know, in terms of new threats, you know, how can we have them covered? You know, so clearly, you know, insurance can cover it. And to your point on, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, we need to go beyond work and not just discuss that dimension, but look at life holistically. Yeah. I think one is, you know, covering from an insurance perspective, you know, which is a very straightforward form of protection. But the other is, you know, how do you also cover human beings you know, from a human angle? And I think there are two aspects there. Okay. One is people are talking about, already talking about the office as, as the new offsite. So how do you ensure, you know, that, you know, people start coming to office, you know, at least once in a month, you know, just for, to have water cooler conversations and to have, you know, catch-ups, right, without having an agenda. So I think, you know, clearly that's one. And the other is, I think there's an increasingly uh, high focus on uh, mental health, uh, Michael, because... We are talking about human beings, you know, who are sitting at a desk day in and day out, no human interactions. So how do we recalibrate their approaches? Because if this is the way going forward, then how do we get them to accept it in a human ma manner, you know, not just in a digital manner? So I think these are two forms, the human angle as well as the insurance angle. Yeah. And I think you bring up another real interesting point. So, you know, I've been working from home for a long time and I do have days where I literally don't talk to another human, right? So you, or maybe it's not until like three or four o'clock in the afternoon, and to a certain extent, you don't even know what kind of mood you're in until you bump into somebody else and they say, how are you doing? And you're like, horrible. Because you just don't know, right? <laughs> but on the other side of that, because we are talking about insurance, is there a recognition in sort of the health insurance space that maybe it's time to start paying more attention to mental health as an insurance product as well? And not just physical health, where like, you can see if somebody's arm is broken but you can't tell if they're being impacted psychologically by something. Is that a focus as well? Absolutely. A beautiful point, uh, Michael. And if you look at health insurance, health insurance rides on healthcare because yeah. insurance is a secondary product, right? When people purchase the primary product, you know, insurance gets sold. You travel, you buy travel insurance, uh, you buy a car, you buy motor insurance. So what happens in healthcare is, you know, as uh, healthcare morphs, you know, from a focus on physical health, like you rightly pointed out, you know, to focusing more on, you know, mental health, right? As you as we move from the material world to the uh, nebulous world, you know, health insurance will follow suit because ultimately it's about ensuring that uh, we cater to the well-being of customers, right? And while it was physical earlier and it was uh, obvious, you know, now it's more subtle and yeah. therefore, you know, we take care of that. And the other angle, Michael, is going beyond pure cover is also about in a very subtle but strategic manner, shifting focus from illness to wellness, it's not about being there with the customer only during his period of illness, you know, which is obvious and which is optically visible, but also about, you know, being there with them, you know, during his wellness phase. So, for example, one thing we have done is, uh, you know, we've launched a, uh, an app called Profit for customers, whereby we tell them that it's not about just being, you know, the best provider when it comes to claim servicing, 
but how can we also partner with you during your wellness phase and this is like the customer's digital health diary he can keep all his medical records there and track his wellness and customers have been very happy they said you know that instead of being with us during 5% of our duration with you you're now there with us you know during 100% of our duration with you so i think uh, the shift from illness to wellness and like you rightly said riding on the shift in healthcare from just focus on physical health to mental health i think that's where insurance comes in and do you think that there's sort of a venn diagram with an overlap and again i just like to go back to pre covid i would go to a hospital or a clinic or go see a doctor for healthcare that's just where i went and if there was an insurance component to it later i would fill out some forms and do some stuff and it was a little bit digital maybe that's fine but now with the onset of telehealth and you've seen companies in india in singapore you know like homage in singapore like nightingales in india get huge funding for like alternative types of hybrid care is there a meeting in the middle somewhere where that healthcare and like you said the wellness but also the insurance are meeting and they're becoming merged into one thing absolutely uh, michael if you look at the whole shift earlier you had conglomerates right where you had somebody with a one stop shop you know offering uh, everything today it's about ecosystems so we moved from the conglomerate era to the ecosystem era and therefore today what you're talking about is uh, you know and especially when you look at platforms it's about multiple players coming together and then like you rightly said you know from a venn diagram perspective uh, you have a you have a meeting point right an intersection point where they all come together they all coalesce together so for the customer it becomes a one shop shop and let right. me give you a couple of examples to illustrate this so for example during the pandemic you know apart from health insurance cover when people really couldn't step out and go to hospitals unless and until they had a critical illness we came out with a facility on a mobile app called uh, doctor on chat it was a very simple but very effective tool customers just dial into the app and they have a digital consultation with our doctors using text uh, voice or video and once they get a digital prescription they just have to go and buy medicine so that was one the other is we have a virtual relationship manager at hospital a unique initiative where for customers in select hospitals when they get hospitalized we tell them to only focus on wellness because when they are petrified of navigating this complex administrative machinery in hospitals we help them with a virtual relationship manager who takes care of the entire processing digitally and we have had such wow experience from customers they said i had to only focus on my health everything else was taken care of the paperwork in a paperless manner by a relationship manager and an nps on this you know gave us a score of 90 90 without a single detractor wow thank that's, you that's pretty high i want to talk about how things change with these emerging digital risks and maybe in these three pieces where i think you can add some real value the first is from a customer service standpoint right How ha- how have you seen that change? I'll give you two more in a second, but I want to go through that first. How is customer service changing as it relates to these emerging digital risks? Sure. Michael, if you look at, you know, first customer interactions, I'll come to the first point straight away, you know, the whole what we call UI UX as a user experience and user interfaces. Right. They've all become touchless, you know, thanks to social distancing, you know, because nobody wants to press, you know, the key in the ATM or the button in the elevator, they become touchless. So I'll give you two illustrations of how this has worked out. So when for example customers walk into branches today you don't shake hands you don't exchange paper so we have deployed uh, barcodes or qr codes all customers need to do is to scan them and then you know they get into self service mode so very clearly you know it just helps them uh, you know get service at the tip of their fingers you know without having to get into any physical interaction the other is uh, you know we've leveraged voice so we have integrated our ai driven chatbot with alexa and google assistant So if you are Alexa at home all you have to say is hey Alexa can i get a copy of my insurance policy 
Alexa speaks to a bot and the policy gets uh, delivered to your registered email ID. Wait a second. Wait a second. Yeah. So how does it know that it wants that particular, like I can sure say to Alexa, hey Alexa, tell me what my most recent insurance policy is. But how does it know where to go to get it? Or does it know that it's a specific Bajaj app? Like how does that work? So there are two things here. Firstly, to your point, how does it know Bajaj Alliance? Because in Alexa, when it was launched, initially we were the only ones. So when we were the only ones who had integrated with Alexa. So that Got it. Was okay, one. did not know that. Yeah, yeah. And the other is, you know, we have done backend integration, you know, by working with the team. So which means when the customer voices is coming to Alexa, the command is transferred uh, at the backend from Alexa to our bot. And our bot then speaks to our system. And then, you know, the policy is registered, sent to the customer's email ID. So there is a complex integration at the backend. Our whole endeavor, you know, Michael, you know, if you imagine a swan, right? I mean, it's very graceful when you sit above the water. But below the water, it's paddling away, you know, furiously. Yeah. So the backend integrations can be quite complex. Uh, you know, it can look like a spaghetti, you know, if you look at it optically. But the front-end, uh, you know, interface is, you know, made seamless. So that's how we made the interface happen. But that, that was going to be my next question is, on the backend side, so operationally, what does that actually look like? And the other thing I'm really curious about is, you know, we didn't know the pandemic was coming. And I can't believe that as good as you are and your team is that you were anticipating everything going touchless. How do you roll out the QR thing and the barcode thing and the voice thing so fast from an operational standpoint? And that's a real general curiosity because you kind of say it in passing like, oh, we just switched to barcodes and QR codes. But if you weren't planning on it, rolling that stuff out is non-trivial. And you're right. On the front end, it looks like a swan but it's like paddling furiously below the water, right? So how do you handle all that stuff from an operational standpoint? Uh, thank you, Michael, you know, for uh, asking a question which is close to my heart. So firstly, Michael, uh, you know, we did not predict COVID-19. I think, I don't think any of us, you know, predicted COVID-19. No I think what happened with us was, you know, we were always a digital first company, uh, a customer first organization, which is digitally savvy. So we had embarked on this journey much in advance of COVID-19. Uh, COVID-19, as my as one of my friends put it colorfully, just happened to be a global unplanned user acceptance test uh, scenario. <laughs> global UAT. Yeah, I really think it was colorful. And I guess, you know, we just passed that test with flying colors purely because, you know, we had gone down the digital path uh, much in advance because you obviously can't pivot to digital at scale overnight. No way. Yeah, we did that. And I think, Michael, to your point, largely in terms of how do we operationally ensure this complex integration works smoothly at the back end, I think that's where my training in Lean Six Sigma, you know, G, you know, comes in handy. Yeah. I think that rigor of day in and day out, ensuring that you're focusing on the customer and then taking a look at the process. I think that day in, day out rigor, you know, yields these uh, long-term benefits. There's a push and pull inside of every organization, particularly as it comes to making digital transformation and technological progress. And I understand the Six Sigma training you've had, and we've talked about this a little bit, right? But getting everybody in an organization to push in the same direction at one time, not even on the operational side, but just from the human mindset side, is super hard, right? So what you've basically said is we've always been pushing into future digital transformation because we're, we're digital first. But do you think, along with this global UAT that you talked about, which I love that phrase, I think I'm just going to use this from now on and attribute it to you Please or your friend. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah, yeah. Please go ahead. But... Did you see a mindset change in some people who may have been a little bit pushing back on digital transformation where they were like, well, gosh, I'm glad we had all this stuff planned anyway. And then it, then it impacts their ability to say, what else should we plan on, even if we don't know if another pandemic is coming? 
kind of thought process. Has that happened as well? Yeah. So good question, Michael. I'll break it into two parts. I think your first point, push and pull, I think that's part of the landscape in any organization. You will have uh, digital promoters and you will have digital laggards, right? Absolutely. I think the best thing uh, one needs to do, the secret sauce is fairly simple. It's about ensuring that, you know, the heavy lifting is done right up front. I think if you engage all the stakeholders right up front, you figure out who are the promoters, who are the ones who are likely to, you know, raise objections, you know, how do you handle them? And I think if you can handle the entire journey using data and using customer voice, then I think eventually, you know, the fact that what is good for the customer is good for the organization holds you in good stead throughout. So I think that helps accelerate digital transformation. Coming to your second point, Michael, and I think that's where, uh, you know, now the insurance industry experience comes in. What happens in the insurance industry is the moment of truth is the claim process. That's the reason you buy insurance. And if you say insurance is the original form of crowdsourcing, uh, sourcing, you buy, you take premium in a small fashion from many, and then you pay claims in a big fashion to a few. And uh, in claims, you of course have, you know, normal claims where you crash your car or you get hospitalized or, you know, maybe there's a fire in your house. But you also have what we call in our terminology, NATCATs. NATCATs are national catastrophes, you know, where you have, you know, events at scale, be it floods, be it earthquakes. Now, Michael, what we have seen, and uh, this has happened in quite a few countries globally as well, these NATCATs are no longer as infrequent as they used to be before. So the Blackstone events are now happening, you know, with the fairly predictable, uh, you know, accuracy in the sense that, you know, you see them far more frequently. So I think that way we were prepared. Now, COVID-19 was very different. It was unlike, you know, any other, you know, catastrophe we had seen. Because earlier, you know, we, we have seen floods and earthquakes and fires and, you know, so on and so forth. So what COVID-19 taught us is because at the end of the day, you need to give solutions. If people are hospitalized, you have to ensure that you, you know, process the claim. If people want to buy health insurance, you have to ensure they buy health insurance. I think what COVID has taught us is how to be agile and be prepared with the response to a question which is not yet posed to you. Right. And I think, you know, which is going to happen increasingly in the future. So I think it's about being future ready as a mindset, Michael. And I think once we have that mindset, hopefully we can find solutions sooner rather than later. Yeah, because... There's always been a mentality, and I've worked in a few big organizations of that's not the way we do it, or that's never happened before, or why are we building this if it's an edge condition or it's an edge case? But it must be easier now, at least a little bit, at least on the margin to say, hey, maybe we should build this thing or think about that thing, because like you said, to future-proof things, we may not have anticipated it happening today, but look at all the other things in the past five years we haven't anticipated, and in some format, they have occurred so let's look at really low probability things and build a solution to them already, right? Because like you said, I don't know the answer to a question that I haven't been asked necessarily, but if I can predict what those questions are, maybe I can have some of those answers. Is that fair? Absolutely. It's about scenario building, Michael. And I think you articulated yeah, you know, this entire piece very well. You mentioned before about platforms and the platform economy. I think about this a lot. If I look at an insurance company, we talked about this earlier a little bit. There was sort of the healthcare business, there was the insurance business, we talked about the Venn diagram coming together, and now there's a wellness business where there's, if not a combination, deep collaboration between those two. Do you see examples in platform businesses that allow third-party development into their system using APIs and other technologies that encourage insurance companies like yours that are digital first to build a platform and API so that other people can build things that you can't build yet necessarily, but your clients can then use as a marketplace. Absolutely, uh, Michael. You see, if you look at the whole, uh, you know, platform business model, right, it essentially creates value, right, by ensuring, you know, exchanges between 
two or three you know interdependent groups right uh, yeah. typically you know consumers and producers so clearly you know that's a model which has worked in you know quite a few uh, markets right uh, for example you know we've seen this work in china now there are two things which i need to happen here uh, michael one of course uh, you know firms have to ensure that you know they get regulatory buy in because you need to ensure that you adhere to the laws of the land so that's clearly yep. one area the other is uh, you know ensuring that there is trust because you know this whole network you know gets built when there is trust you know amongst you know the various players now when you know they basically interact with the various players then net net what are what you going and telling customers is that it's a one stop shop right and what we do in a platform right it's not about producing everything that's why i said it's no longer about conglomerates but you move from producing to creating a means of connection so therefore you know you you kind of get inventory coalesced into one place you know you have a you know a unitary supply chain by basically bringing in you know multiple players who can give you access to similar services so for example it's the co product let's take healthcare right maybe it's healthcare plus health insurance you know plus some other aspects of you know the entire you know medical ecosystem right so clearly you know we're seeing that emerge and i do think you know platform platformification as a trend is here to stay and do you see other insurance companies figuring this out already yes i do feel like and we've had this conversation before i do feel like there's part of what you're doing you said digitally first you said six sigma right. all of these things that we've discussed before Right. But do you see other insurance companies catching up and saying, wait a second, because once you become a platform, it becomes stickier, right? In other words, I can develop something for your right. platform, for somebody else's platform, but unless the APIs are similar, it's going to take me time. I have to make a decision. Right. So how does that competition flesh out for you? Yeah. So one is to, your, again, your, I'll break your question into two parts. One is, yes, we see it happening. As I mentioned, you know, we've already seen it happen in some parts of uh, the market in China. Yeah. So clearly, you know, the uh, model is in, is in vogue. Secondly, Michael, uh, see, uh, at one level, if you look at insurance, you know, the penetration is still very low, right? For example, if you look at India, general insurance penetration is still, you know, 1% of the marketplace, of the entire, uh, not marketplace, GDP. of the entire opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when other players come in, see, sometimes, you know, it's a coexistence model, right? It's not necessarily about always, you know, competing for the same share of the pie. If more players come in and the pie can expand and everybody benefits as a, as, a, as a benefit. Fair enough. There are more customers who buy insurance. You know, there are more players, you know, who are giving, you know, uh, core services plus allied services to customers. And there are more players, you know, and therefore the pie expands. So I think given that, you know, this is a nascent business model, you know, and the pie is still to expand, the more the merrier. You know, that's the way I look at it. If you look at this pie expanding, do you also see this on the human resources front? And I know that question may seem a little bit out of left field. But you know this from when we first started talking a couple of years ago. Everybody says insurance isn't sexy. I don't buy this at all, by the way. It's very sexy to me. But do you see a difference in the type of people that are getting recruited and in the type of recruits that are coming to you as opposed to being recruited, but coming and saying, I want to work here because this is the frontier of digital transformation and I want to be a part of it. Have you seen that change over time? Yeah. Again, I'll break it into two parts. Firstly, insurance is a big generator of employment, Michael. Not only direct employment, but even indirect employment. For sure. When you look at, yeah, when you look at agents, when you look at distributors, and when you look at all the people impacted, you know, across the entire ecosystem. So clearly, there are more employment opportunities. Secondly, to your point, uh, insurance moved from being on the cusp of transformation to being an industry which is in the throes of transformation, you know, yeah. the last few years. Therefore, if you look at InsurTex, you know, and if you look at, you know, the established players as well, I think the kind of talent which is coming in, you look at the traditional actuary, right? I mean, he used the original data scientist. The only difference is everything used to be in his head. 
now it's about you know ensuring that everything works in models exactly. so as the industry moves from uh, you know having everything in the head you know to having a data science model you know the focus on data the focus on analytics and of course you know the focus on digital transformation you know clearly you know you're seeing talent coming into the industry it's a clear trend yeah it's interesting when i used to sit on a trading desk actually when i first started trading back in 1994 most of the traders had a certain type of sort of aggressive shoot from the hip kind of gut instinct personality but as and we saw this happen in you know in the trading desks at uh, at Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs as connectivity improved as compute exploded right there was no cloud there but as our data centers became more efficient they stopped hiring people with those instincts and started hiring like mathematicians and tr- and PhDs right in advanced mathematics are you seeing the same thing in the insurance industry as well absolutely michael you are, i mean i think uh, you know you answered the question i think uh, originally when you look at you know insurance hiring it would have been like you know like i like we discussed one the actuary people undergo actuarial training right and then you look at you know people you know who been in the thick of insurance people who have had experience in underwriting people who have had experience in claims and then of course you know you look at people who have had experience in sales because the distribution led business sure sure it sure with a typical you know insurance form of hiring now today when you look at it you're looking at people with ui us ux experience and some of these experiences are industry agnostic because when you build bots and apps people are going to customers are going to compare their experience with you with the best experience they have had they're not going to you know segregate them into industry wide experiences therefore clearly ui ux you know you look at you know getting the best website redesign again you know you look at getting the best you know from across the industry right and like and similarly like we like you just discussed when it comes to data and analytics right mathematicians statistical modeling you know when you look at all of these areas right clearly uh, you know the hiring goes beyond traditional insurance boundaries and you look for people with those skill sets and some of those skill sets are industry agnostic yeah i agree it's just so interesting to think about it that way it just came into my mind the experience that we had at uh, at goldman and now what definitely must be happening in the insurance industry can right. you talk a little bit more about data risks and how the hybrid work situation changes the way companies have to protect data maybe even down to training their employees about how to use their machines whereas that if they were going to an office every day they just did what they did right because the IT team was there to make all those protections but at home they may not even have a firewall installed right no it's a, it's it's a very relevant question you know given the times we live in i can i'll break it into you know, a few components first is of course uh, you know investment in cyber security in various forms and while firms invest they don't talk about it because they don't want to reveal the tricks of the trade you know to potential hackers so you know so clearly investment in that and whether it's ensuring whether it's work from home or whether it is uh, you know work from office right how do you ensure that the environment is secure so that is one the second michael is you know getting your hands around data what happens typically is you know data lies in various siloed data marts so what for example we did you know when we moved to the cloud we coalesced all of this into one single data lake and therefore you know all the data is in one place so that helps us keep it in one place manage it better and of course uh, not only ensure that you know we go back to our customers with more products but you also give you know location based servicing so that's the second aspect the third is you know uh, to the point that we made ensuring governance right we need to adhere to you know various forms of you know legislative and regulatory norms on data protection and there there are two things we do one of course we train employees and the other is we also to keep doing audits from time to time because you need to have a maker checker in place it's not just about training people and assuming that culture will take care of it, take care of it right. we also need to you know keep you know auditing from time to time to you know get early morning signals you know and then you know fix it yeah the fourth aspect and i think you touched upon that from a training aspect it's also about telling people because if you look at it most often michael a lot of people sometimes you know make mistakes unwittingly right. you know, especially if you're working from home yep. so you know it's about taking them through real scenarios you know what could have happened maybe a loose sheet of paper which is not 
you know, turn off, maybe writing down something, so on and so forth. So clearly, you know, training people. The fifth is, you know, figuring out, you know, data in various forms. So, for example, when data is in rest or data is in motion, you know, how do you cater to that? You, have, you know, you have different forms of security for when data is in rest and data is in motion. So I think, you know, we've done all of that. The good things in the last 18 months, and I'm saying not just about my firm or my industry, but if you look at the globe overall, I don't think, you know, you've seen a massive spike in data security incidents. It's not as if in the last 18 months, suddenly, you know, the world went all right. Yeah, not really, right? Yeah, I think it's, you know, pretty much even keel, you know. So I think a lot of a lot has gone into this, you know, behind the scenes. I had a really interesting conversation with somebody yesterday about the difference between moving to the cloud and being cloud native. If you build things in the cloud, it necessarily is able to take care of all of the benefits of being in the cloud, which is more than just throwing an API on top of something and making it accessible in the cloud. Can you talk right. a little bit about that transition or that transformation from, you know, not just being on-prem, but being off cloud and then moving to cloud and how that changes, not just the technology development, but the operations and the necessity to be cloud native as opposed to being on the cloud? Absolutely, uh, Michael. I think, again, very contemporaneous question. So we, uh, you know, used to operate with, you know, like you said, on-prem. And then, uh, you know, we used to have a lot of systems and, you know, we had a core platform as well. And then we used to have, you know, data sitting in various forms. And sometimes you'll figure out even across systems, for example, you know, let's say your address in one system, maybe there are 30 characters. Right. In another system, there may have been 25 characters, right? So sometimes just for that, you know, you may have, you know, loss of data. So when we, uh, you know, travel, move, move our uh, core platform, we also transfer our core platform. We said it's a good opportunity, you know, for us to, you know, move to the cloud. And the, and the first thing here, uh, Michael, is change management. So what we ensured was, you know, we enter, ensured, you know, enterprise-wide uh, education. You know, we got all stakeholders on board, uh, on board and we told them about the necessity of, you know, moving to the cloud and, you know, changing our core platform. So they were, for example, part of the RFP, you know, when we shortlisted various, uh, uh, you know, vendors, you know, to come and, uh, you know, work with us. And then even from a business perspective, you know, we took a sign off, you know, when we went through the entire process. Yep. And then what we also realized, you know, typically in this, you know, it's a multi-year, multi-product journey. Uh, and again, I go back to a three-step process, you know, which I learned in GE, which I think is very powerful. Think big, start small, scale fast. So I think, you know, we applied that. We said, obviously, you know, it's, it's a big journey. Let's start. So then we picked, you know, one product line, which was small, but then which gives us a full view. And then as we moved to the cloud, we understood, you know, what does it take? You know, how do we fix this, right? Because when you do data migration, there could be a quite, of, quite a few challenges. How do you tackle all those challenges? You know, so we worked with our, you know, our partners. We worked with our in-house teams. We worked with our, you know, entire set of distributors and customers. And we ensured, you know, that this change was seamless. And then learning from that, you know, we began to rapidly, you know, go forward. The benefits are obvious. One is you avoid uh, software obsolescence, hardware obsolescence. Right. The other is, uh, you know, we have data, you know, in one form. And just to give you one example, Michael, for example, how it can even obviate, you know, the need for, uh, let's say, physical servicing. But if a customer were to click on Google Maps and he says, you know, I'd like to visit, you know, this branch of Bajaj Alliance, you know, the bot, because we've tied up with Google Messenger bot, a bot pops up and says, uh, can I help service you digitally? And thereby, it even obviates, you know, the need for him to go to the branch just because, you know, he's using Google Maps. So that's how, you know, getting the data together, you know, has helped us. And of course, you know, revenue monetization, because all data is in one place. Data cleaning up, using it for business intelligence, advanced analytics, location-based servicing. But I think, you know, the whole journey, uh, because of, you know, good change management, I think it has been extremely smooth. Awesome. I want to make sure I have this right. Think big, start small, scale fast. Absolutely. That's the way we're ending. Deepu KV, thank you so much for coming in and doing this. That was awesome. 
thank you michael as always i think uh, you know your warmth and the fluency with which you conduct these conversations you know one just flow you know it just flows naturally thank you so much thank you